Information discussed in this podcast may be sensitive in nature to some listeners. Listener discretion is advised. Dylan Rounds isn't your typical 19-year-old young man. Most young men Dylan's age are playing video games, hanging out with friends, maybe getting ready to go to college, but not Dylan. Dylan knew what he wanted to do, and he was going to do it. Dylan wanted to be a farmer. After Dylan graduated high school, he left his hometown in Idaho and moved to a piece of property in Lucen, Utah, a very rugged part of the Utah desert. There, he would start his dream of running a farm. On May 28, 2022, Dylan's grandmother called him at 6.51 in the morning to see what his plans were for the day. On May 29th, Dylan's grandmother asked some farm workers to check on Dylan because she hadn't heard from him since the previous day's morning, and that was unusual. On May 30th, Dylan's mother and father learn that Dylan hasn't been seen in two days. They both decide to head to Lucen, Utah to look for their son. When they arrived, Dylan's truck was parked near his RV where he was living alone, but Dylan was nowhere to be found. Where is Dylan Rounds? Hello, and welcome to a bonus episode of the Where Are They podcast. This case is very current, and with time of the essence, it's important to get the word out. 
Thank you all so much for tuning in and listening to this young man's story. I've had a bunch of emails regarding Dylan Rounds and this case. So let's talk about what's going on here. Also, this episode is not sponsored. I'm putting it out there today as a bonus episode because it is a current case with a lot of momentum right now. And this is a 19-year-old boy that is missing in the desert. Since this is also a very current case, there will be, most likely, updates daily. In fact, I recently received notification that the FBI has officially been brought in to assist. Hopefully, that brings more news soon. I'll post important updates over on social media as they come in. Dylan's case has been all over social media and local media in Utah, where he disappeared from. It's just now starting to hit mainstream national media. And I think if we keep his case out in the public eye and keep pushing for answers, Dylan can be found. So let's go through this case as we do all of our cases. We'll start with who is Dylan Rounds. Dylan Rounds was born to Candace and Justin Rounds, and he grew up in Rigby, Idaho. We don't know a whole lot about his background because most of the information put out there right now is about the current situation and the search for Dylan, understandably so. But at some point in Dylan's childhood, Candace and Justin did get divorced. Some sources have said that the divorce was not amicable, and it sure kind of seems that way. There's been a lot of finger pointing back and forth since his case came out. It was also said that Candace had little to no contact with the kids for a few years. But I do want to point out, regardless of what happened or didn't happen in the past, Candace has been a main driving force looking for her son and keeping his story out in the media spotlight. Dylan's high school life was atypical. He wasn't really into video games, he didn't date, and he wasn't extremely social. He also wasn't interested in going to college because he already knew what he wanted to do. He wanted to be a farmer. So as soon as he graduated high school, he headed off to Utah where he planned to work with his grandfather, but running his own farming operation. His grandfather assisted Dylan and they purchased 640 acres. The land was raw and in the middle of the Utah desert, most specifically a town called Lucen. There would be a lot of hard work in preparing the desert soil and clearing the sagebrush on the property before they could even start farming, but Dylan was ready and excited for the challenge. Once in Utah, Dylan lived in an RV on the property, and he lived alone. There were a few employees that he brought on for help here and there, mostly a couple guys that had previously worked with his grandfather, and sometimes they lived next to him in their own RV or camper. Dylan had a little setup where they did have water and resources, and they kind of had their own little campsite. We will come back to examine the area that Dylan lives in, the area of Lucen, Utah, shortly. The Disappearance In May of 2022, Dylan was looking forward to planting his first crop. After all the time spent preparing the land, it was finally ready. His plan was to grow grain and feed for local animals. On the morning of Saturday, May 28th, 
Dylan received a call from his grandmother. She wanted to check in and see what his plans were for the day. And if there was any more to the call, I'm not sure. And apparently this was something that they did daily. But ultimately, Dylan cut that call short because he noticed it was about to rain outside. And he had a truck full of seed that he was preparing to plant. And he couldn't let the seed sit out there and get wet. So he told her he had to go put that truck in the barn. Dylan's barn and shed and equipment was about five miles from where his RV was parked. But he had his own pickup truck to get back and forth. That evening, Dylan's grandmother tried to reach Dylan, but had no luck. It was a little out of the ordinary as they talked often, but she figured she would just talk to him the next day. On Sunday, May 29th, she was still unable to reach him. She asked a couple guys who worked with him and his grandfather to go check on him. The two men, Kurt and Don, will be mentioned again later in the story, so keep that in mind. Kurt and Don don't find Dylan, but supposedly his truck is parked at his RV, and the seed truck did make it into the shed. On Monday, May 30th, Dylan's grandmother is now worried, and she reaches out to one of Dylan's friends from back home, a boy by the name of J.D. J.D. said that he hadn't heard from Dylan at all. With this being such rough terrain with lots of dangers, I'm sure, snakes, wildlife, plus all the heavy equipment that Dylan worked with, the worry really began to set in. J.D. called Dylan's mother, Candace, to see if maybe she had heard from Dylan. But Candace hadn't heard from him either. She said that going a few days without talking to Dylan wasn't too out of the ordinary. But once she heard that his grandmother hadn't heard from him in a couple days, she knew something wasn't right. She immediately called Justin, Dylan's father, who was driving home from Las Vegas that day. And he also had not heard from Dylan. Candace and Justin would immediately head to Lucen, Utah to search for their son. The search. Upon arriving in Lucen, Candace and Justin found Dylan's truck parked near his RV per usual. The truck was locked up, which they thought was kind of odd for Dylan, but really shrugged it off. His RV looked normal. Nothing looked amiss. They looked around for a bit, and then they decided to call the sheriff for Box Elder, the county that Lucen sits in. They were worried. They were really worried that maybe Dylan had had an accident, or maybe he had fallen and broken his leg and needed help. And they had such a large area to search. They knew they needed help from law enforcement. So Box Elder County Sheriff's Office does come out and take a report, and they looked around the property for a bit. They didn't seem panicked or really worried, which in turn Dylan's parents would say made them not panic. They figured law enforcement didn't seem worried, so they didn't think they really needed to be either. But looking back, they wished they would have panicked and put some urgency into things right away. After about an hour and a half of searching, someone located a pair of boots tossed behind a dirt pile. Dylan's parents identified them as belonging to Dylan, and his mom immediately became more concerned. This didn't make any sense. She said Dylan just had those one pair of boots. He was never the type that would have multiple pairs. He would just wear a pair until they fell apart, and then he would buy another pair, an identical pair. And the pair of boots looked as if they had just been tossed. 
They weren't sitting there neatly. They were kind of scattered and found in a location that was a couple hundred yards from Dylan's RV. So now we have his truck left behind and his boots, but no Dylan. Law enforcement noticed a few drops on the boots of what they thought might have been blood. Not a huge amount, but enough for them to notice it. A few drips, as it was described. And they put the boots in their squad car to take in for testing to the lab. Nothing else was found that day, and law enforcement would end up leaving. The family and some volunteers scoured the area the next day, but the problem was they didn't know where to look. They had over 600 acres of land, and that's just the land that Dylan owned. Where do they look? Who do they even talk to? That's when Candace recalls a story that Dylan told her a week or so before he disappeared. He told her that he had been driving on a gravel road He was either headed to Montello or coming home from Montello when a man approached him asking for a ride. He wanted a ride into the town of Montello. And Dylan told his mom that he told this man no because the guy looked disheveled and he thought that maybe he was on drugs. He was acting a little bit crazy. The man then asked Dylan if he could maybe use his cell phone and Dylan let him. Dylan told his mom this story as just a crazy thing that happened to him that day. Like, hey mom, you're not going to believe what happened to me today. Candace knew that the desert and the ruralness of that area does bring out a lot of drug addicts and crime. So she told Dylan to be careful and she was glad that he hadn't given him a ride. As Candace puts out the story, she learns that the man's name is Chase. And allegedly, he had been asking around in Montello about Dylan shortly after that incident. There's also some rumored reports that Dylan did give him a ride and just didn't tell his mother that. But we really don't know. And shortly after, allegedly, and I say allegedly because this hasn't come directly from the source or law enforcement, but supposedly, one of the farm workers, Kurt, Remember, we brought him up earlier as someone who occasionally worked with Dylan on the farm. This Kurt came forward and said that he had heard that Chase had kidnapped Dylan and was keeping him in a building in Montello. Immediately, Dylan's parents let authorities know this, and they told them to contact Nevada law enforcement, as Montello is technically in Nevada, and Box Elder County in Utah had no jurisdiction there. So the family contacts Elko law enforcement, who had no idea there was even a missing person out of Lucen. Candace said she was devastated that Box Elder authorities hadn't let Elko authorities know, especially considering that Montello was the closest town to Lucen and the town that Dylan was known to frequent. Elko detectives located and searched the property that allegedly Chase was keeping Dylan on, only to find nothing there. And Chase was also very adamant that he had nothing to do with Dylan's disappearance. In fact, in a couple of days since the search at his property, Chase continually called authorities to tell them that he had an alibi. But supposedly, law enforcement wasn't even taking his calls. When they finally did, they did confirm that he had an alibi for the time frame that Dylan allegedly went missing, but that Chase also had an outstanding warrant for an unrelated crime, and he was subsequently arrested. Law enforcement was also able to ping Dylan's phone, which was near his RV and was pinged on the 28th, 
The last ping came through at just after 3 p.m. on the 28th. To date, Dylan's phone has not been found. Dylan's wallet is also missing, and his parents have monitored his accounts to see if there has been any activity in his bank accounts, and there has not been. The family believed that there has been a lack of effort from law enforcement, and many close to the family in investigation have wondered why. While they came out and took the initial report, additional searches were not really organized. Dylan's parents would also learn a week after he disappeared that his boots that they had found that day, the day they reported him missing, were still sitting in the back of the police cruiser a week later. The officer told the family that they were needed for the cadaver dog. But as Dylan's mom points out, cadaver dogs don't need a personal item to find a dead body. They're trained specifically to sniff out cadavers, any cadavers. But did the officer just misspeak? Did he mean search dogs? Was he kind of using them interchangeably? Or were they making excuses as to why the evidence hadn't been sent to the lab yet? Volunteers start to come out and help search the area, both with drones and in a helicopter. In fact, the popular YouTuber Heavy Diesel took his helicopter out as well and documented the search. Interestingly, the area sits around an Air Force base with a lot of restricted airspace. They had to receive permission from the Air Force to fly the land around Dylan's farm, and they were granted mostly access. I believe there were some areas they still couldn't fly over, but they were able to fly over a good portion of the land. They looked for any disturbances in the ground. At this point, everyone is kind of fearing the worst. For Dylan to abandon his farm, something very bad must have happened, especially right before planting. This made no sense. The farm was his world. Add to that the fact that his truck and boots were left behind and there's been no activity on his accounts. Things definitely don't look good. Texas EquiSearch is also on standby, wanting to come and search, but they have to have the approval from law enforcement. As of this recording, we don't know that they will get it. If they do, they have trained drone pilots prepared and ready to go search the area immediately. There is also a small pond on the property, supposedly a pond that Dylan himself had built, and that pond was drained to search, but again, nothing was found. The physical searches will continue, at least by family, friends, and volunteers. Dylan has been missing for almost a month as of today. As in a lot of missing person cases from small towns, rumors swirl. Investigators do start questioning some people, but the family also begins their own investigation, mostly because people have started reaching out to them, telling them that they either didn't want to speak to authorities with what they know, or in some cases, they did call in to law enforcement and no one ever called them back. The investigation would uncover a lot of details, some of them facts, some rumors, and some, well, we just aren't sure yet. The Investigation We are almost 30 days in. There are developments coming forward daily, some credible and some not, some verifiable and some we're still a little unsure of, and I expect there to be continued 
developments as this case gains momentum. As I mentioned, law enforcement's efforts, according to family, have been minimal. And I don't know if that's the mood of the area, but it has also come out that some people that have had information have called the family instead of law enforcement. And Dylan's dad said he welcomes any and all tips, but does want law enforcement involved because he's just one person. He can't follow up on everything by himself. And of course, that's completely understandable. And he has personally followed up on many tips that have come in. He's also said that he can't speak out to everything that has come up. Some of it they have to protect for the integrity of the investigation. So we know that there is more out there that we don't know. But we have learned some things. Dylan's dad, Justin, decided to break into Dylan's truck. Law enforcement had told him that the truck wasn't important. They could do anything they wanted with it. And Justin wanted in. Law enforcement wasn't interested in searching it, but Justin wanted to to see if there was any clues at all in there. So he broke out a window and opened the truck up. Everyone thought it was odd, too, that Dylan had locked his truck, something he never did before. His mother also noticed as they were searching the truck, and she herself climbed in it also, that the driver's seat was pulled all the way up almost as it would have been if someone her height was driving, and she's 4 foot 11. Dylan is 5 foot 11, and he usually drove with the seat almost all the way back. So right away, this seemed really weird to her. And as she and Justin look over the truck in more detail, they also noticed something odd. The truck had recently been pressure washed. I don't know exactly how they realized that or why they didn't realize it sooner, But everyone did say that the truck did appear freshly washed, considering how it normally looked. That's never a good sign in an investigation. And it was said that Dylan never washed this truck. It just got dirty out in the desert. It was just kind of a farm truck that he used to kind of get back and forth. The way the roads were in the land, there was no sense in washing the truck. But it had been washed. But Justin did notice that there was dirt in the wheel wells, leading them to believe that it had been washed off property and then driven back. Something else that stood out as odd to them about the truck is that it was in four-wheel drive. Dylan and his family knew that the four-wheel drive on the truck was broken and he never used the four-wheel drive. It was never in four-wheel drive. So are these signs that someone else was in the truck, someone that tried to engage the four-wheel drive, not knowing that it was broken? Someone who was out driving somewhere where they wanted the truck in four-wheel drive? Then we learned some interesting facts about the people in Dylan's life. First, we learned that Dylan and some of the farm workers were known to patrol the land themselves, meaning they acted kind of as their own law enforcement. Not that that isn't out of the ordinary. He is out in the middle of nowhere with 640 acres in an area that is sometimes known to attract trouble. But it begs the question, did something happen with regards to that? Did Dylan make an enemy or have an encounter with someone? We also learned that one of the farmhands that worked with Dylan had been fired shortly before he vanished. This man, Don, had been one of the grandfather's employees prior to working with Dylan. For the first couple weeks, as news of Dylan's story hit the media, Don took most of the heat initially. He was recently fired. He is said to be much older than Dylan and was not thrilled at all to have been working and taking orders from a 19-year-old. 
And remember, he was one of the guys, along with Kurt, that the grandmother first asked to go look for Dylan. But others have spoken up and said that despite Don and Dylan not always getting along to work together, they really did part ways amicably. Even some who know Don personally said he's a pretty good guy and would never do anything to Dylan. Next, we have the story of Chase, the man who used Dylan's phone and had that weird encounter with him shortly before Dylan disappeared. Many people are still pointing the finger at him. He is being held right now in jail on another warrant, but authorities said he had an alibi, although I'm not sure if that was for the 28th, 29th, or both. We believe Dylan disappeared on the 28th, but we just don't know. Chase was also the one calling into police repeatedly, wanting to clear his name, something that ultimately led to him being arrested. Would he have done that if he was guilty of something? Then there's Kurt, and Kurt has come up in several ways, and I don't know what the truth is and what isn't. For one, we know that he was a friend of Dylan's, even though he was in his 60s and Dylan is just 19. Kurt was also known to help Dylan around his farm. A private investigator has come forward with claims that he was hired by Dylan's father's family, but no one has confirmed that from the family. So take all of this with a grain of salt. This man said that he learned that Kurt and Dylan were actually in a relationship and that his family didn't even know he was gay. Others have called this preposterous. I think it's a strange thing to come out so publicly and state, especially without proof. And I don't want to further spread any rumor, but if it's true, remember a partner or a spouse is usually the first one we look at. To further make the story more bizarre and troubling is that Kurt has a brother in the area named Troy, who also sometimes hung out with Kurt and Dylan. A brother with a lengthy criminal record, one that involves stalking and sex crimes. In fact, there is one story circulating that in the past, Troy had kidnapped two women removed their shoes, and kept them captive in a building near Montello. Is this a possibility? Was Dylan kidnapped? Like I said, I don't want to rule anything out, but that story seems a bit unusual to me. But I guess weirder things have happened. As this case picked up momentum, law enforcement has taken a stronger second look. As recently as this week, the FBI has joined the case, along with the Utah Department of Public Safety. We can only hope the additional resources bring some answers. Lucen, Utah, and Montello, Nevada. I do want to briefly take a look at the area that Dylan lives in, the area from which he likely disappeared from. As I mentioned many times, the area is desolate, rural, tough. There's a reason not many people live out that way. The area of Lucen, Utah is desert land. And Lucen itself sits on the Utah and Nevada border. A quick look at Google Earth shows virtually nothing there. In fact, Lucen, Utah is such a tough place to live and make a home that it was completely abandoned in the 1930s. And it wasn't until the 1990s when people started to inhabit it once again. Its population in the 1990s, four. Four people. Part of the area of Lucent is managed by Utah Wildlife as a protected place for wildlife and birds. Lucent is also listed on the ghost towns of Utah list. 
On Google Maps, you'll see the Lucent Airport, which I did learn is actually someone's personal residence. In fact, in the 90s, when Lucent was resettled by those four people, one was the pilot who wanted some place to keep his plane. And looking at Google Maps and the surrounding area, it doesn't show us much at all, except a vast amount of land with nothing there, very few roads, and no buildings. The main town that Dylan would frequent for gas or maybe to grab a bite to eat at one of the two small cafes in town is the town of Montello, Nevada. Montello is the closest place to go if you're in Lucent, but it's still a half-hour drive away. However, Dylan was still known to frequent Montello. Montello is part of Elko County, Nevada, and has a current population of 50 people. Actually, that was in 2018. Maybe they're up to 75 now. I don't know. The point is, even though that it is the closest town, you can see that it is barely even a blip on the radar, as they say. Wikipedia describes it as having two small bars, cafes, and a market motel, market slash motel, selling fuel and sundries. There are various cattle ranching operations surrounding the area. It looks like Montello also has a post office, a local park, a church, and an elementary school, and that's about it. So, of course, everyone believes the search needs to also include Montello as much as Lucent, knowing that that's the main town that everyone in the area frequents. And that opens up a whole big area to search. There is even a mountain range that separates the two towns. I think using drones is going to be a huge help to cover more ground safely and quicker. A couple recent updates that we've heard in the last day or so that may or may not be related to Dylan's case. Number one, we've heard the FBI has searched a shed and removed boxes of evidence. Did they find something? Or are they just covering all bases? And I'm not sure if that was the shed on Dylan's property or somewhere else. It's also been said that a man named Robert Avilas was arrested in Nevada recently, but transferred to Box Elder County. Some are speculating it's in connection with Dylan Rounds, but is it? We've heard nothing to the sort. Is he just a man that had a warrant out of Box Elder? One more point I want to touch on in this case, and that is another missing young man from a nearby area just a month before Dylan disappeared. Aiden Clune. On April 26th, Aiden left his home in Sonoma, California and drove to Wells, Nevada, alone. On April 27th, 2022, 19-year-old Aiden Clune left his hotel room in Wells, Nevada. It was early. 623 in the morning, in fact, according to the surveillance footage. Aiden got into his 2007 red Nissan Frontier truck and he headed south on US 93. At 8.50 a.m., authorities found that truck abandoned on the side of the highway. It was locked and there was no sign of the driver of the vehicle, also no signs of criminal activity, so authorities had no reason to break in. It was also unclear why the vehicle was pulled over there. Did it run out of gas? Did it break down? Law enforcement is able to see a knife and a wallet sitting on the passenger seat. Another interesting thing officers would notice were footprints leading away from the vehicle into the desert and the hills. 
Once they realized they had a missing person on their hands, they tracked those footprints for 11 miles. The only thing they could tell was that he was likely alone and he was most likely running or walking fast the entire time, sometimes without his shoes on. When they finally get Aiden's phone records to analyze, they notice that his phone pinged that night at 8.57 p.m., in a location southwest of where his vehicle was. So he had exited his vehicle sometime before 8.50 a.m. that morning, and sometime after 8.50 p.m., his phone pings southwest of where his vehicle is. They also searched his history of his phone, his search history, and his last Google search was looking to find a spark plug replacement. The area that his car was found in is also a rural desolate area. The fear was at the time that the temperatures in the desert can plummet at night and they needed to find Aiden. Law enforcement searched for Aiden on foot via horseback via air patrol for three weeks before they called off the search. They believe that he may have been having a mental episode and he wanted to disappear on purpose. So is there a connection? Two missing 19-year-old young men being searched for in Elko County, Nevada and nearby Lucen, Utah, both with similar build, similar looks. The search for the boys is also similar. We're looking in rough terrain, in deserts, in mountains, in areas of nothingness. Wells, Nevada to Montello, Nevada is about an hour drive by car. But Aiden was actually heading away from Wells in Montello when he pulled over and hopped out of his truck. There's nothing to indicate that these cases are connected, but it is an odd coincidence. Dylan's family wants to make it very clear that there is only one official Facebook page set up for Dylan, even though many others have started creating their own. His mother, Candace, also warns of the dangers of these other pages and these fundraisers that are being set up. Both Candace and Justin said there are currently no fundraisers set up by them. So please be wary of any GoFundMes that you see out there in Dylan's name. Box Elder Chief Deputy Cade Palmer has since come out to say, quote, If somebody is involved with Dylan's disappearance, they need to know we're not going to go away. If this takes months, if it takes years, we will keep knocking on doors. End quote. Dylan is described as a Caucasian male, 5 foot 11 inches tall and weighing around 160 pounds. He has brown hair and brown eyes. Dylan always wears a dark hoodie and jeans. He was last heard from on May 28th while he was believed to be at his residence in Lucen, Utah. He also has connections in Montello, Nevada. If you have any information on the whereabouts of Dylan Rounds, please contact the Elko County Sheriff's Office at 775-738-3421 or the Box Elder Sheriff Office at 435-723-5227. Aiden Clune is also missing from Elko County, Nevada, last known to be in between Wells, Nevada and Curry, Nevada. Aiden is a 19-year-old Caucasian male, 5 foot 8 inches tall, weighing around 125 pounds. Aiden has brown hair and brown eyes. 
If you have any information on the whereabouts of Aiden Kloon, please contact Elko County at their direct line, 775-777-7300. I'll be looking into Aiden's case further as well. Stay tuned for that. I hope to bring you more details soon. Hopefully, as these cases get more exposure, the search parties can get out there and more resources, such as the drones and the air patrol, can assist. Of course, I'm also keeping a very close eye on updates in Dylan's case. As I mentioned, it's changing rapidly, so there's likely to be more updates soon. That's all I have on Dylan's case today and Aiden's. These cases are so, so baffling. If you have any questions, feedback, or case suggestions, please send me an email at canwefindthem at gmail.com or find us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. Thank you all so much for tuning in to this episode today and listening to Dylan's story. We will be back soon with another unsolved missing person case. And until then, stay safe and hug your loved ones.